is the same text that we uh, looked at last week. However, last week uh, we were looking at it from the standpoint of Paul and Silas and their uh, rejoicing in the jail. Now we're going to look at it from the standpoint of the jailer and his question, what must I do to be saved? While I'm preparing to get myself ready something dawned on me a few minutes ago Um, I'm taking our youth up to Covenant College for YXL and I two or three years ago I took the youth up um, when we didn't have a a youth director uh, while we were waiting for for Billy Meenan to come and Samantha Bustamante uh, was along for the trip and she was asking me every question that you could think of about moral issues, about things about the Bible and, and I found this book that, uh, that went along with a lot of the questions she was a- asking and so that's the reason why I got the book I can't believe that I didn't tell you that I had all that prepared a couple of weeks ago but that's why I got you the book. And here today I'm leave, taking the, the, the youth up up there. And I don't know whether to hope to have another Samantha along or not. Because she challenged me all the way up. Anyway, Acts chapter 16, beginning with verse 25. And we'll read through verse 34. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with, a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he, he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them and rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Let's pray. God. This word, or this um, passage of the Bible is very straightforward. And so I pray you would help me to preach it in a very straightforward manner. And that you would um, cause your word to uh, have its full intended effect. As you have said that your word never returns to you void. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our nation has some big problems before us, and therefore big questions. Just a scan of the headlines from the Friday Friday morning um, listed several big questions. Bloomberg News asks, how can we stop a U.S. default disaster? 
Time magazine on Friday morning was asking, could America go the way of Greece? And the Washington Post states that we are against the clock in Afghanistan. Important questions, certainly. But they pale in comparison to the question that is before us this morning. This question that the Philippian jailer posed to Paul and Silas almost 2,000 years ago. And that question is just as relevant for us this morning as the moment in which it was asked in that dark, musty jail cell. To answer the question better, let's first examine the character of the man who asked it. Because uh, right away we are able to see some things about this man's character, about this jailer's character. First in verse 27 we see that he seems to be conscientious. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Apparently, it was understood that if um, your prisoners escape, that uh, you would be put to death. And so he decides, I'm going to be honorable and put myself to death. And had Paul not called out to him, he surely would have carried through with his intentions. Now, that being said, we know he had a family. Uh, We'll see that in a few moments. We just read about it. um, Because he he took Paul and Silas home to his household. And so you can persuasively argue that his thoughtfulness should be directed toward his family rather than his job performance. In other words, he needs to be thinking, okay, how now I, my, my life's in jeopardy. I need to be concerned about my family rather than running myself through with a sword. But uh, So he should have been more of a family man maybe, but the fact remains that this jailer was simply not a, a ne'er-do-well He didn't run out of the jail himself and try and escape. So he seems to have some uh, conscientiousness. He also seems to have some sort of reverence in his character. In verse 29, it says, The jailer called for lights after Paul said, Don't harm yourself. And he rushed in and with trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. He seems to know that Paul and Silas are somehow connected with God. And so he rushed in and he fell down before them on his knees. And then he pleaded with them to answer this question. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? There's something interesting here also about his character. And that is, as we've worked our way through the book of Acts, we've seen many thousands of people come into Christ, come into faith in Jesus. And obviously these people are, are on different points on the moral spectrum. Some may have been living wildly uh, lascivious uh, lives. I didn't think I would be able to get that one out of my mouth. Um, while others 
who came to Christ were undoubtedly pillars of society who were leaders in their hometown, who were looked up, um, and in some ways probably very moral people. And so, and then between these two poles, there were people all along the spectrum uh, that came to, to faith in Jesus Christ. But when we hear in the, the, God, in the, the book of Acts uh, about particular people, when particular people are named... They all seem to have the same characteristics. This Philippian jailer, he sought Paul and Silas out before they could preach to him. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Earlier in Acts 16, there was Lydia. Uh, Lydia was called a worshiper of God and she was worshiping with a group of Jewish ladies when Paul and Silas met her. Before that, there was Cornelius in Acts uh, 10 and 11. And before he came to faith in Christ, before Peter even met him, the scripture, and I'm quoting here from Acts 10.2, says of Cornelius, He was a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. And then there was the Ethiopian eunuch. When Philip met him, what was the Ethiopian eunuch doing? He was reading from the book of Isaiah, trying to understand it. And even the Apostle Paul, who calls himself, and he is absolutely right, the chief of sinners because of his persecution of the church, even he was trying to seek God as a misguided Pharisee. And the Bible is careful to point out these details. It pauses and it gives us just these names of these particular converts. And it makes us pause even more, although we rarely do, to look at their character. These were people who, even though they hated God in their hearts as they were unconverted were seeking God in some manner or form. And I've been wondering about that because the commentators don't generally comment comment on this. And one of the things that I think I've come to is God was at work in their hearts. In spite of themselves, in spite of their lack of faith, He is bringing them to a point where they are ready to hear the gospel. And also, um, they are um, they are under, or they put themselves in some way or another. Not the Philippian jailer, but in some way or another, most of these people have put themselves in connection with the Word of God. So there are several lessons I want to draw from this, and I'm going to be brief on these. But the first lesson is: if you are not a believer. I want to encourage you to do what you can. I'm not saying work salvation. But I'm saying continue coming to church. Give attention to the reading, to the singing, to the praying, to the proclamation of God's Word. Read the Gospel of John. It's one of the things that I encourage um, many people to do who are considering uh, the claims of Christ. Read a book that uh, helps answer questions that unbelievers typically are asking. 
two of the more important and famous of those books. Um, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. He's the author of the Chronicles of Narnia. Also, Josh McDowell's little book, More Than a Carpenter. It's a great little book to read as well. And that was very helpful to me in my... Um, in my uh, pursuit of Christ. I think I had just become a believer, actually, when I read his little book and was uh, greatly benefited. A second lesson is this, that people who put themselves in a position to learn about God are generally more likely to come to Christ. And that's not denying the sovereignty of God. Um... Because uh, God uses His Word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the Word of Christ. You putting yourself in a position to hear God's Word or read God's Word, in actuality is God bringing you to desire His Word. Putting you in the process Uh, This is important because uh, there are many people who believe that they can run away from God and come to Him later. Well, that's not the case at all. Um, That's actually a a uh, non-sequencer. I know what it means, and I think I'm pronouncing it right. In other words, it does not follow that you can run from God and choose when you are ready to follow Him. Uh, A third lesson is that um, it's more important to proclaim God's Word and to continually expose a person to God's Word than it is to push a person to make a decision for Christ. In other words, if you have unsaved relatives... Try and put them in contact with God's Word rather than, than invite them to this one event where they will make a decision for Christ. Because it might be that they need to hear God's Word, hear God's Word, hear God's Word. I've been studying ahead in Acts 17 for, next, uh, for actually two weeks from now. And Paul, it was his practice to go into the Jewish synagogues um, three or four times in a row before he would move on. So that he could preach God's word, preach God's word, preach God's word, preach God's word. A little bit at a time. Let him hear it. Let his word chip away. God prepares the ground. God ripens the fruit. God determines when a person is ready to make that decision. To use that terminology. And it's more important to put a person in connection with God's Word, to hear it proclaimed again and again and again. We've pushed off salvation to a decision that a person makes, and then we get so discouraged when they don't make the decision, or even worse, they make a quick decision, and we tell them that they're saved, and they may not be, And God's Word may continue, need to continue working on them. I was, I I walked an aisle, I was told in 10th grade that I was a believer, never to doubt it. And that Satan would try and tell me I wasn't a Christian. 
That was in 10th grade. God tried to tell me through the rest of my 10th grade year, my 11th grade year, my 12th grade year, on into my freshman year in college that I wasn't a Christian. There are a lot of people who never move beyond where this jailer was in his faith when he asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? In other words, they think it's good enough to have good intentions towards God or they may have some memory of a past decision that they've made and they've stuck that decision away in their back pocket and they'll pull it out as a go-get-into-heaven-free card uh, when they die. But they never really do anything with their faith. But notice that this jailer did not become content with his question. He didn't simply ask it and think that that was enough. He knew that he was in a perilous condition. He knew that he needed to be saved. And he was not content to stay in that condition. His very question shows us his condition. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? In other words, he knew he was not saved. There's a lot of interesting questions here, and I've got notes I'm going to skip over. Some of these notes, I'll raise the questions for you. Uh, it's interesting that the jailer knew that Paul and Silas had the, the answer as to how he could be saved. How would he know this? I'll give one answer to this, actually. Uh, the commentators speculate that the jailer may have heard that woman who had a demon. Remember, she was following Paul and Silas around. And she was crying out um, in, um, in the first part of Acts 16, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And so he may have thought, well, they have the way of salvation. Uh, by listening to this demon-possessed woman. Maybe it was their singing uh, while they were in in the jail. Who knows? But he knows that he is unsaved. He knows that his soul is in a perilous condition. And that's why he cries out. Another question is, um, I wonder what the jailer felt that he needed to be saved from. What was he looking for? The important thing is that he knew that his soul was in peril. That he had come to this place where he knew his soul was in danger. So I ask you, have you come to the place where you know that your soul would be in danger without the Lord Jesus Christ? If you were out without the Lord Jesus Christ this morning... Do you know that your soul is in danger? Do you know that if you died without Christ, your soul would be cast away from God for all eternity? And that you would suffer in everlasting wrath and judgment? And yes, that includes fire and brimstone and eternal torment. That is the condition of every soul that has not fled to the Lord Jesus Christ for safety. The jailer, even though we don't know what's going on in his mind, we know that he had 
come to that point. And that's why he came in, fell to his knees, and cried out, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And that is the right question to be asking this morning if you don't know the Lord Jesus. We all here this morning have questions. Our questions may not be as big as those before our country today, but we all have questions. What will I be doing this afternoon? May be the question on your mind right now. Or what will I watch on television? Or how are my investments doing? How will I take care of my parents who are beginning to age? Will I be prepared for the big meeting later this week? All these questions, however important, are insignificant in relation to the security of your soul. So I want to ask you, do you have any immediate plans to challenge you to take stock of your soul? If you are wondering about your soul, will you just let this question simply go away? Or will you make a plan to seek God's Word? To ask a fellow believer to read a book that maybe answers some of your questions? Will you make a plan and commit to that plan that you will ask those questions and find the answers? Your soul is at stake. I want to ask you who are believers, do you have any immediate plans today to feed your own soul from the Word of God other than coming to church? And do you have a plan that you uh, consistently live by to feed your soul every day from God's Word? Faith comes from hearing and hearing the Word of Christ. What I'm driving at is this question or or the importance of the soul in our relationship with God is so important. And we let everything else take positions of primary of um, primacy and let these important questions of our own souls slip by and by. Let this jailer's inquisitiveness regarding eternal matters spur you on this morning. Paul's answer to this jailer's question was very simple. You see it in verse 30 or 31. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. This answer crystallizes the essence of the Christian message of salvation. Believe. Trust in. Rely on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Jesus is the only one that can deliver you from eternal judgment that you have earned for yourself. For the wages of sin is death. Flee to Him. Embrace Him. Entrust your entire life to Him. Because He died for sinners. And His death is sufficient to remove all of your guilt. His death is sufficient to make you righteous. 
and presentable before a holy God. His death is, or his intercession is sufficient to achieve unbroken fellowship with Almighty God for all eternity. Flee to him. Why would you not? Notice also in this simple statement that Paul does not use the term Savior. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. He didn't use the word Savior. He could have, but he didn't. Instead, he uses the term Lord. I bring this out specifically because this term has become less popular in preaching and in teaching in the church today. People want to make salvation easy. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and li- or believe in the Savior Jesus Christ and live like you want to. You can believe in Jesus and you can live together outside of marriage. You can, um, you can believe in Jesus and live like the world. You can believe in Jesus and lust with impunity. Obedience is optional. It's what people are actually teaching today. But the term Lord means boss. Believe in the boss, Jesus Christ. When you come to the Lord Jesus Christ, by definition, you must lay down your own life. Luke uh, 14, verses 25 through 27. Now great crowds accompanied Jesus, and he turned to them and said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. He's the boss. Get it? The jailer got it. He received the Lord Jesus Christ and immediately started bearing fruit. He took them home where Paul and Silas uh, continued to preach, um, not only to him, but to his entire household. He washed their wounds. Remember, they had been beaten severely uh, earlier in the previous day before they were tossed into jail. And then it says, he and his household were baptized. Now, we don't know how old the uh, members of this jailer's household were. And so we don't know if there were infants involved or if they were all adults. But what I find striking here is in verse 31, I only quoted part of the passage. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Harkens back to uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 38 and 39. What must we do to be saved? Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of sins. The promise is for you and your children, all who are far off, all whom the Lord our God will call. Paul, I would assume... Certainly the text leads us to assume that he didn't know who the members of this man's household were or how old they were. But yet he says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your entire household. That harkens back, in my mind, to Acts 17, where God says to Abraham, I will be a God to you and to your children. 
doesn't mean that children are necessarily saved. They need the Lord Jesus just as much as we do as adults. They need to flee to Him. But there's this promise. And I want to mention it this morning. And then finally, the jailer rejoiced. Verse um, 34, He brought them up into his house, set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. What is your salvation to you this morning? Is your salvation a kill joy to avoid hell? To avoid hell? Or a joy because you belong to God? Let's pray together. Almighty God, We have truly been considering issues that are bigger than life and death. We have been considering issues of eternity. And God, it is my prayer that you would so be at work that every person who has been under the preaching of your word and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, that you would so work to draw them to Jesus Christ that he would be so precious to them that uh, all the things of this world would become as dross and as um, as Paul says as garbage, rubbish in order that he may gain Christ and have a righteousness uh, in him that is not from works but is by faith and is through grace I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.